0: Good morning. If you will rise with me, if you're able, we will be reading today from Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. I'm reading from the ESV. Paul, I, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you, Lynn, uh, for reading scripture this morning, and uh, if you haven't noticed, today we are starting our new series together, uh, walking through the book of Galatians. Uh, Something that we do here at our church is that we take books of the Bible and we methodically walk through them. Uh, Instead of just grabbing a verse or two and then trying to come up with a topic, we We walk verse by verse through a book. Uh, We want to understand the context of it or uh, the deeper meaning of the book. Uh, We call this expository preaching. Uh, It's designed so that we can get a better understanding of the message. Uh, We want to strengthen our walk with God. Uh, We want to use it on a daily basis, daily lives. And so uh, that's kind of what we've done over the last several years. And uh, I've been encouraged by a lot of the books that We've walked through, Uh, I I was looking back, Uh, I keep all of my stuff on my computer, so I was looking back and we've done books like Ephesians, Uh, we've done James, we've done 1 John, Uh, and then we spent about 8 years in Hebrews uh, as we walked through there, Uh, and I realized that this was the first Pauline epistle, meaning that Paul wrote it. Uh, that I've actually done in about three years. So uh, I'm excited to get back to the writings of Paul uh, because I really believe that that Paul had a gift when it came to writing about our Christian walk and the Christian life that we have. So uh, this morning we're beginning this, this walk through this book of Galatians. Uh, this is the first in this series and I want to give some background to it, kind of set the stage and, and understand why, why we have what we have in front of us. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Uh, God, I thank you for the opportunity to speak today. Lord, I pray that uh, these words, while many of us are so familiar with introductions to letters, Lord, I pray that you would uh, take something from this today and that we would, if we would be able to grab onto it, that we would be able to, uh, to use it to strengthen uh, what we have in you. Uh, God, I pray that you would uh, take these words from this book. Lord, there are some controversial uh, passages through here, Lord, but overall there is just this this idea of freedom and grace, Lord, and I pray that you would give us, uh, uh, Lord, that you would give us grace today, that you would help us to understand and uh, to better use uh, these words for your honor and for your glory. It is in your precious name we pray, amen. So the title of our series is called "Gospel Rooted Living," uh, which we've seen the posters and things that we've had, and and the whole idea of this book is how Paul is writing how we are to live in light of the gospel and how the gospel affects every part of our lives as we as we live. And so that's kind of the idea of what we want to do over these next several uh, weeks and months. And it will take us a little bit—not as long as Hebrews, but it will take us a little to go through this. But uh, I encourage you to, to stay with us as we, as we walk through this book. C.S. Lewis was once at a conference, and that was the, conference, the idea of the conference was talking about comparative world religions. Uh, and the story is told that the speakers at the conference were off in some side room, and they were just kind of talking together. And they were talking about what makes Christianity unique, what makes it uh, different in, in regards to the other world religions. In the conversations among them, some suggested that perhaps the resurrection was what made Christianity unique. However, others said, well, no, that's not the case because other religions believe in some sort of resurrection. Uh, others said, well, I think it's the incarnation uh, of Jesus where, where he came into our lives and came and lived among us. Uh, others still objected to that, saying that there were other world religions that taught that, that God or gods became man. C.S. Lewis apparently walked into the room at this point and heard what was going on and how the speakers were discussing what makes Christianity unique. And so he piped up and said, what makes Christianity unique? Oh, that's easy. It's grace. Grace. Grace, that unmerited favor of God towards undeserving, rebellious sinners. And if you think about it, every other world religion has some sort of way where you have to earn your way to God. Uh, It's not God being gracious to you. For example, Buddhists have an eightfold path that they have to follow. Hindus have karma. If you do good, good will be returned to you. There's no grace in karma. Um, Muslims have the five pillars of Islam that you have to do in order to be holy, in order to earn divine favor. Only Christianity has grace. And what I think is interesting is no human being could ever come up with the idea of grace. None of them, no human being would ever say that there is unmerited favor towards undeserving sinners who have rebelled against the one who shows them that favor. And yet, here we are this morning under the grace that only comes from God. And I would say that in all of us, in some point, somewhere, something had to happen in us in order to understand or to have this grace. You could call it an epiphany or something else. There was this recognition about what grace truly was, and that leads us to this desire that I actually want it. Let me kind of set the stage here. Over in uh, Luke chapter 15, we have uh, Jesus talking with his disciples about this kind of idea. In Luke chapter 15, we have the famous story of, of the prodigal son. You guys remember the story, the, 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 um, the one we're familiar with? Uh, the, the one where the son walks away from the father and goes and lives among the world. Actually, they should call that story the prodigal sons, because when you really look at both of them, uh, both of them were really far from their father. Uh, we know the story. The younger son, he, he goes to his dad and he says, hey, I want my inheritance now. Uh, and, and basically he, he walks out. He, he takes it and he's gone. He goes and he spends his money on this, this wasteful lifestyle until it's all gone. And, and I, I heard someone talk about once the silence of the father as the young son walks out is deafening because he lets him go. And he goes and he, he lives among the people. He parties it up with his friends. And, you know, growing up in church, I always heard the stories, right? He, he finds himself working on, on this pig farm. He's tired. He's hungry. He's alone. And then in verse 17, we have grace. Well, the start of it. In verse 17, it says, but when he came to himself, and said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I here perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. This is why I say that no human being can come up with this idea of grace. There's an epiphany, he says, when he came to himself. And then he makes a statement, I'm going to go home, and I'm going to live like one of the servants See, he has the idea that, hey, if I live as a servant, if I live underneath my dad's leadership but as a servant, I can basically earn my way back into his good standing because I know I've messed up. I know that he's going to be mad at me, that I've blown everything. And so when I go back, I'm going to live underneath that because I want to earn my way back into my father's grace. When his son turns home, we know the story, right? The father is... Looking for him. And actually the story says that he runs to greet him. Which is so not what we think about. It's so not what a dad would do if you will. He runs to meet him. And before the son could even get all of his statements out, the father says, hey, you're back. Go. We're going to put a, tells his other servants, put a robe on him. Put a ring on him. Go and kill the fatted calf because we're going to party it up because our, my son has come home. That's grace. And it's then that the, we of the story, the, the other brother comes in and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is going on? I I, I didn't run out on you. I mean, I've basically done everything that, that you've wanted me to. And the father says, everything I have is yours. You, you, you're mad at me because I killed a calf because your, son, your, brother, your, your brother came home. Go kill a calf. You want to have a party? Have a party. Basically, hey, you don't have to earn your way into my favor. And see, this is the story of the two brothers... One who was lawless, and one who is a legalist. See, this is a story about two people who both desperately need to understand what grace is. And so we're going to start studying this book of Galatians. And I've entitled the series Gospel-Rooted Living because Galatians is about understanding grace, about explaining what grace is and how the gospel is grace and how that then we can now live with that as our foundation. This book is for the legalist and this book is for the lawless. It's for anyone who thinks, hey, I've blown it, I've messed up, I'm never going to see the grace of God. And it's for those that really feel like, you know, I've done all the right things. I don't really think I need the grace of God. So let's look at these opening words. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, or according to the will of of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, so many people will often read these verses as the introductory verses, and they are. They're the introductions to the letter, and so many times when we read these, we may think, well, we'll just kind of blow over them because we want to get to the meat. You know, let's let's get to verse 6 because that's where the, the message really begins. It's almost like when you get the email and you have the subject line at the top that you just yeah, that's whatever. Give me the me. Give me the understanding. Like we, I could I could send out a church email and be like, hey, peeps. And you guys would just not even pay attention to that. Some of you might be like, why did you call us peeps? Because you're my peeps. You're my people. Right? No, no, no. Like in our letters today, that's how kind of we talk. we just like, hey, and then we move into the main part of the letter. You might say that there's a formal letter where, you know, to whom it may belong, to whom it may concern. Uh, and then at the bottom of the letter, we sign it sincerely or uh, uh, cordially yours, and we put our name. Well, in the Bible, that's not how it works. In the Bible, the, the letters written in the Bible have the, the, the signature at the front end of it. So when it says Paul, an apostle, it's talking, he's the one, He's like, hey, Paul to you. And then he starts. And so we think, well, this is just kind of white noise. This is just understanding the, the, uh, who wrote it, who he wrote it to. This is not really uh, good for us today. We can't really learn anything from this. And I say what Paul says in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is inspired. Every word is inspired. And I think every word is written for our benefit in order to teach us something. And maybe it's teach us something about Paul. Maybe it's to teach us something about the gospel. And so when I took it today, I looked at it and I divided it up into three uh, portions. First of all, the man, second, the message, and third, the motive. Uh, Because I'm a pastor, I like alliteration, man, message, motive. Uh, and the first one I want to talk about is the man, and, and, and let's talk for a second about who is this guy named Paul. Paul, as we know, is uh, sitting up here on the front row. No, he's, he's sitting in the sound booth. No, and we've we got like several Pauls here, right? No, Paul, as we know, is this, is this figure in the New Testament that's kind of like is this monumental figure, okay? Uh, he writes 13 books in the New Testament. From Romans all the way to the book of Philemon. Some have even suggested that he wrote Hebrews. I personally don't believe that. But uh, that he wrote at least 13 books. And most of what we know and study about the Christian life are found in the writings of Paul. So who is this guy? Who Who is Paul? Well, Paul is a guy who was formerly known as Saul. Uh, He lived uh, in the early days of the early church in the book of Acts. You can see this. And we have this guy named Saul uh, where he's going around and he's persecuting the churches. Well, in Acts chapter 9, uh, we have the account where Jesus appears to Saul and ultimately saves him. And Saul later would change his name to Paul. The word Paul means little one. Uh, and it gives us this picture kind of, of how Paul kind of viewed himself in light of the gospel and viewed himself in light of who Jesus was. Uh, we'll find in different verses where Paul calls himself the least of the apostles or the chiefest of sinners. Because Paul said, hey, my stature is not in who I am and what I've accomplished but I understand what grace is. See, the story of Paul is the story of that son who didn't run away. See, he was the story of the one who did everything right. He was a zealous Jew. Everything he did, he did everything basically that the law required of him. Look at what it says, how he describes himself in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Like, he's like, hey, I'm living my such a way that I love God. I love the law. I love everything that God has wanted me to do. And he hates Christianity. He hates this idea because God doesn't want that. The law doesn't say that. And so I'm going to persecute Christians. I'm going to stamp out this practice because, well, I I just know that that's what pleases God is to get rid of all this other stuff. And he says, "As, as, as to zeal a persecutor of the church. I feel like God wants me to do this. God wants me to drive out these people. When you read in Acts, you find that this kind of culminates in 7 and 8, Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8, where, where he's just ravaging the churches and he's dragging people out of their homes and he's, he's throwing them into prison. And he's like, I'm doing this because the law, this is going against what the law is saying. And so I, I'm being zealous. I'm doing the right things. And in Acts chapter uh, 7, it's, it actually talks about him holding robes while the people actually begin to murder these Christ followers. He watches Stephen be stoned. This is the guy that writes the book. You're like, wait. Doesn't sound like a good Christian man. Well, Ephesians 2, Paul writes, but God, being rich in mercy. That's not the end of Paul's journey. Paul, that's just the beginning. That's just the background of where he comes from. He says, but God, because of his great mercy love see God looks down and says Paul you're going to be mine and I'm going to set you apart over in Acts chapter 9 it actually says this the Lord said to Ananias who was going to actually meet with uh, Saul and he says go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name And Jesus appears on the road to Damascus and Paul is changed forever. And so as we walk through this book, what I want to do is encourage you to to bookmark it or to read through Acts chapters 9 through 14 on your own. Because this is really going to tie into our study as we go through the book. Acts 9 through 14, Paul's converted and then what? And then what? And when you read those chapters, what you find is the church, at first, is really like standoffish to Paul. They're like, we, what do you mean you're now a Christian? Like, all of a sudden, he's been, he's been terrorizing Christians and throwing them in prison. All of a sudden, he, they receive the council receives word. Oh, that guy, yeah, he's saved now. He actually wants to come visit you. No, because, yeah, I don't trust him. And actually, there's this whole conversation of whether we trust him or not. And then one person decides to stand up for him and says, I think that maybe uh, he goes and talks to Paul and comes back and says, no, there's something different about him. And this guy is the name, a guy by the name of Barnabas. Uh, And what happens in chapter 13 of Acts... Uh, verses 1 and 2, you have this, this, this council of people, okay, at Antioch, and, and they're talking together, they're, they, they're worshiping the Lord, they're fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And so as you continue reading in Acts 13, that, that this actually, Paul now takes a purpose in what he's doing. And he, he goes on what would be called his missionary journeys. He would essentially, what he would do is he would travel over to Greece. He would then go into Grecian cities, and he would go into Turkey, uh, maybe come down through Syria and Lebanon and back down. These are modern countries, but that's the region that he was going through. And what he did was he did this three different times, his three missionary journeys. And so, when Paul would travel into these cities, when he would get there, what he would do is he would start a church. He would find people, and or he would he would convert people to Christianity to get them to understand, and then they would start worshiping together, and they would start a church. And what he would do is he would kind of help this church get started and established. He would get people then that were that were leading in that church, and then what he would do is he would then move on to the next city, and he would do the same thing. Like Paul was the best church planter right? He's going and establishing churches, and he's establishing churches. And so you have churches that are beginning in places like Ephesus or in Philippi or in Iconium or in Lystra or Derbe, and you have all these different, different churches that are starting to be established. And then he would travel on. He would travel on. And then after some time, he would make his way back home uh, to Antioch or to Jerusalem, and he would spend some time re- recovering and, and gathering up resources because he would launch out into another one often he would then write letters back to those churches to perhaps encourage them or challenge them. Uh, And so he wrote letters to the church at Ephesus, which is what we call the book of Ephesians, or Philippians, or Corinthians, to the church at Corinth. Well, here we have a name of a book called Galatians. Galatians. Now, to understand this, Galatia is not a city. There's no... uh, city called Galatia this is more of a region of cities if you're looking at modern day Turkey it's kind of that middle section through Turkey and the reason I tell you to read Acts 13 and 14 is because a lot of the little towns and cities that he started in churches in those areas is the region called Galatia it would kind of be like if we wrote a letter today to the churches of the Midwest. Okay, now, That would be a lot of churches. But if we wrote church, it's like a region, not a pinpointed city. So this is who he's writing to. Now, the question is, why? Why does he write this? Why is Paul writing this letter? When you read the first missionary journey in Acts 13 and 14, you find that he goes to this Galatian region, and he starts preaching the gospel, and people start coming to faith. And he, tells, he teaches that, that justification is by faith alone. Justification, not by work. And you have these people that are believing, some that were kind of questioning, but they're believing. And as we read the book of Galatians, what we find is that after Paul leaves, another group comes behind him, and, and sometimes they're called Judaizers. Sometimes uh, Paul calls them the circumcision party. And, and this group of people started teaching that, that, that Paul, maybe he got some of it right, but he didn't get all of it right. Like, he, he, he missed some things. And these Judaizers would, would say, yes, yes, you need Jesus, but in order to be truly saved, that you need to follow the Old Testament law. Basically, a very lim- early way of saying it, that men, you have to be circumcised. It's just horrible to think about but it's like you have to do that because if you don't do that you're not really truly saved and 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 god's not going to recognize or show you favor so this is why paul writes this letter and many times as paul begins his letter he starts with encouraging words but as we're going to see next week paul launches right into the truth and you could read that in verse six <laughs> I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting. And we'll get to that. Basically, Paul's thinking, hey, you guys are about, you're getting ready to abandon what I taught you about the gospel. And you want to add something to the gospel. And Paul says, no, 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 no. It's Christ and Christ alone. It's Christ plus nothing. It's, it's not Christ plus then this and then this and then this and then finally you will be saved. He says, no, it's just Christ. So that's kind of the background of, of why he's writing the letter and then uh, uh, who he is and this whole idea of who Galatian or where Galatia is. So now let's actually start reading. <laughs> like all that introduction? No, no, no. Paul, an apostle. An apostle. The word apostle means one who is sent. And, and there's a generic form of this word that, that means that someone who has been sent by someone else. But I also believe that there's another form of this word, an office form of this word, if you will, that's within the church of Jesus Christ. And I would say that, that the apostle that's written here is, is, is different than, than saying, hey, they're just missionaries or they're just being sent out. And I would say there are no modern day apostles in the way Paul is using this word. Because there are people, when you read the scriptures, an apostle is someone who has seen Christ and it was personally taught by Christ. And no one can say that today. Paul even clarifies it by saying his apostleship, notice, is not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. He says, hey, it didn't come through me. I didn't get this from Peter. I didn't get it from James or from John. No, it came directly from Jesus Christ. And the reason we know that is because we can go over in Acts 9 and see that Jesus actually appears to him and talks to him. And so Paul makes a great deal about this right at the beginning of his letter. Like, it's like, why, Paul? Why, did you, why didn't you just say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ? Why did you say, Paul, not from men or from man, but through Jesus Christ. Why did you have to say that? Well, if you remember a few moments ago, he talked about all these accolades that he had, you know, being circumcised at the tribe of Benjamin, and he's the Hebrew of Hebrews, and he's he's got all these accolades, but do you know what Paul considers them to be? Nothing. As a matter of fact, I didn't show it to you, but the next verse of Philippians 3 says, whatever gain I had, I counted... As loss. So here at the beginning of his letter. Paul immediately tells them. That his message is not him. It's not my message. But it's through Jesus Christ. It's important to know. That this message is from Christ. Not from me. Paul saying. Because this is what happens. If Paul is just writing. And he says that it's his message. Or that he got it from someone else. Well Then. It's simply opinion. It, well, you know, that's just your idea or that's just Peter's thought or James' thought. It's not, this is not God's thought, so, you know, I can disagree with you. No, no, Paul is so concerned that these people are getting ready to step off the cliff into heresy and he's saying, no, 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 this message is from Christ. This message is not from me. It's from Christ. And I would dare say that there are some people who treat Paul like this today. They feel as that, well, Paul didn't really get it right in this area. Or or Paul, I don't really agree with Paul over here on this issue. And I go back to the beginning and say, listen, every word is God breathed. Every word. Meaning that the book of Galatians is God's word. The book of Philippians, God's word. But Paul wrote it. Yes, he did. But as he said, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, every word. So Paul is writing here and he's like, hey, don't just listen to this as if it's coming through me. Listen, because this comes through God. So he says, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And then notice what he says, who raised him from the dead. Who raised him from the dead. Again, we hear the phrase, and we simply go, okay, check. He writes, God raised Jesus from the dead. I'm so familiar with that. Let's just move on. The reason I think Paul writes this here is because if Jesus didn't, raise, if Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, then anything Paul says after that, anything he says about the gospel isn't true. 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. See, without the resurrection, we don't have a gospel. We don't have grace. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then, well, you have to believe it. (laughs) Now, all of that is from verse one. (laughs) We're going quickly, aren't we? (laughs) Now, verse two. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Basically, hey, that's the title portion where he says, hey, the other brothers are with me. Most likely this is probably Barnabas, maybe uh, James or some other believers because he's probably back in Jerusalem when he's writing this. The other Christians who are with me are in agreement on this, that these words are important. And now I'm writing it to the churches of Galatia. And now what? So that's the man. Secondly, the message is verse 3 and 4. And what we kind of see here in verses 3 and 4 are kind of this overall idea of what this whole letter is going to be about. It's almost like putting the title at the front and then he's going to talk about it in great detail. So what is the message? Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. All of Paul's letters have something very similar to this. It's a very similar teaching. Uh, Grace to you and peace, or grace and peace to you. And I would say, in that statement is the gospel. Martin Luther said it this way, grace releases sin and peace makes the conscience quiet. That grace is the source. Okay, It's the position of the believer. You are in Christ because of grace. And peace in is the result of that. That peace is the practical part. Because, listen, you won't understand true peace until you have grace. You won't understand the peace that passes all understanding. You won't understand the peace that guards your heart until you understand the grace that comes from God. And listen, you don't deserve peace. It's a gift of God. And he gives to those who have awakened to his grace. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very high view of scripture. The idea here is that when you open up the scriptures, when you open up God's word and you begin to read it, that the grace of God flows from these words into you, that grace is being poured into you over and over again. And then when that happens, the peace of God results as what you read and you start reading it more and you start believing it more. The grace just continually overflows into you and the peace results in that. Listen, that's why reading your Bible is so hard. Wait, what? You ever heard of spiritual warfare? See, I can engage you in spiritual warfare right now, and that is open your Bible and start reading. Start reading. What's going to happen? Oh man, I didn't realize how tired I was. Oh man, whoo! I should have went to bed early. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make you guys yawn. I was a student once. I know what it's like to get the teacher to yawn. He's just yawn a bunch and then he yawns. Some of you yawn. Some of you go, this is boring. Let me go back and read the Old Testament stories. Let me read about David. Those are cool. I get some of these New Testament stuff and it's just boring. It's hard to understand. It's just, yeah, and you give up. You give up. Isn't it interesting that we can read novels all day long, but scripture, a a chapter a day? You know why? See, because the devil knows that when you read the scriptures, grace is going to come to you. Peace is going to result in you, and he hates that. So he's going to push you from it. Paul starts it by saying grace to you and peace that's the first word that we all need to hear grace the first word that the Galatians remember the Galatians they're about to dive off into heresy they're about to jump off the cliff into disaster the first word they needed to hear was grace the first word was not hey you idiots why are you jumping off Paul's going to say that next week we'll get to that (laughs) the first word they needed to hear is grace and see when you've blown it when you've messed up When you can't see the way, you need grace. And I would say grace is not an idea that grace is a person. and That person is the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, how do you know it's a person? Well, look at the next phrase in verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins. See, the nature of the gospel is that Paul's message here is that we are sinners. We're sinners. We have rebelled against God. We do things that we shouldn't do. And we don't do things that we should do. That we're sinners by our very nature. We're sinners by choice. And we do it every single day. And it says he gave himself up for our our sins. And he's saying in this, he's saying, hey, you can't save yourself. Your sins can keep you from saving yourself. You can't deliver yourself from your sins. Someone else had to die and that someone here is Jesus Christ. And listen, that's why the gospel is so offensive, because the message keeps reminding me of who I am. And and some of you might be thinking, listen, you don't know me. I'm pretty good. Yeah, in your definition, you're pretty good. In God's definition, though, you know what Romans says? There is none righteous, not even one. There's this constant reminder that you can't do it yourself, that you're a sinner. And then it says he gave himself up for our sins. And I love the fact that Paul says our, our means me too. Martin Luther says that the entirety of the gospel hangs upon pronouns. See, a lot, of us, a lot of us have no problem thinking that Christ died for Paul or that Christ died for the Pope or for, for Billy Graham. because Those people who have reached some measure of holiness in their life, see, they deserve Christ's death. Or some of us or, and we see that and we say, well, they deserve that, not me, because I'm not that great. Or maybe it's the opposite, where they, they, they understand that Christ needs to die for like Saddam Hussein or for Hitler or these, these horrific sinners. See, they need it, but, but I'm relatively good. To which I go back to the beginning and say Christ died for both the legalist and the lawless. He died for every single person including every person who does not understand or know the grace of God you understand that it doesn't take much time at all to read the Bible and see that you're a sinner not much at all I mean we we put the 10 commandments up and when we read the 10 commandments immediately we see I didn't feel I didn't fulfill that Or we get in this legalist mind, oh, I've not messed up in all of those places. Remember the Ten Commandments in the New Testament when Jesus says, hey, you know how I told you that you're not to kill one another? Well, you know, if you have anger in your heart towards them, you've basically killed them. Remember how I told you not to commit adultery? Do you know that if you've had lust in your heart towards someone else, you've committed adultery? Whoa, Jesus, whoa, you're just making us all guilty. Exactly. (laughs) Last week, Peter Wuerl spoke on how we don't actually love God with all of our hearts, our souls, and minds. Why? Because we're all sinners. So Christian, if you could internalize this phrase, who gave himself for our sins. If you could internalize that, it will revolutionize your life. See, because maybe you're like me. Maybe you're like me and you hear in your own head, these constant accusations. I can't believe you would do that. I can't believe that that's how you were. What kind of Christian is this? God doesn't really love you. How can you call yourself, maybe you have those voices in your head, I came across this quote, and it's long, but I, it's so great. I quoted him a few times already, but I really, really love what Martin Luther has to say about the phrase, who gave himself for our sins. And I'm gonna, I have it up here, but I'm going to read it. Let us therefore arm ourselves with these and similar sentences of the Holy Scriptures, so that when the devil tells us we are sinners, and therefore damned, we may answer, because you say I'm a sinner... I will be righteous and saved. Then the devil will say, No, you will be damned. And I will reply, reply, No, for I fly to Christ who has given himself for my sins. Therefore, Satan, you will not prevail against me when you try to terrify me by telling me how great my sins are and try to reduce me to distress, despair, hatred, contempt, and blasphemy. No, on the contrary, when you say I'm a sinner, You give me armor and weapons against yourself so that I can cut your throat with your own sword and tread you under my feet. For Christ died for sinners. Moreover, you yourself preach God's glory to me for you remind me of God's fatherly love toward me that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And whenever you object that I'm a sinner... You remind me of the benefit of Christ, my Redeemer. It's on his shoulders, not mine, that all my sins lie. So that when you say I'm a sinner, you don't terrify me. You comfort me immeasurably. That's amazing. That's the way a Christian battles unbelief. That's the way we live a non-defeated life. That's the way a Christian invokes grace upon their life. And that's the nature of the gospel. Who gave himself for our sins. Then it says to deliver us from the present evil age. What did Jesus come to do? Well, Colossians chapter one says he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, listen, we say, oh, yeah, it's heaven. That's what he's talking about to deliver us from this horrible time so that we then go to heaven. And I say, no, the reality of this is right now that I'm no longer part of this world. He didn't say he would take us out of the world. He just says you're delivered from the present evil. The age in which you live is evil. 1 John 5, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Entertainment and music and politics and media and government, all of it is under the power of the evil one. And Christ says, hey, I'm going to deliver you from that. I'm going to deliver so that when you, I'm going to take you and I'm going to deliver you so that when you go back into it, as we saw in the book of Daniel, that you're going to speak redemption into that, that you and I are going to work together to redeem those things. It's not to to be separated and live like Amish and I'm not part of the world at all. No, it's saying, hey, I no longer have to pursue what the world pursues. I don't have to value what the world values. I'm part of a different kingdom. I'm part of a different citizenship, if you will. And I have a new ruler. Deliver you from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. That this is God's will. That this is God's will. That his son would die for your sins. That His grace would be poured out upon you so that you could see His immense love and praise Him. And what is the result? Peace. Peace. So when you think about these words, you realize it's all under the will of God. That it's no wonder that Paul finishes verse 5 with the phrase, To whom be the glory forever and ever. It's for His glory. It's for Him. I don't boast in myself. I'm not the one who did it. But everything that God is doing, He's doing it for His glory. Why does God bring grace and peace to me? Why does God give up His Son for my sins? For His glory. and So that I will be a worshiper of Him. And Paul ends the opening section here with one little word. Amen. You know what amen means? Like we say it all the time, right? We finish our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. When my kids, my younger kids were a little smaller, they would, I think it was Grant, who didn't say amen, he said olive, He'd sing his little song, thank you Jesus for our food and your many blessings. Ah, live. Ah, live. We don't even have olives on our plate, kid. But now he says, Johnny Appleseed, you have to talk to him. You know what amen means? So let it be. But there's more to it. It's, I agree. I believe this. See, the way into the reality of the grace of God and to know the peace of God and to have the effects of the cross come to you is to believe. I agree that is how God's grace is. I believe that Christ was given up for my sins. So have you agreed? Have you believed? And if you have then you can come back to verse 4 again and again. You can come back to verse 3 again and again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself up for our sins. To him, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God this morning. We we are sinners. Every single person seated here is a sinner. And God may maybe even this morning as we were sitting here, we were reminded of a sin we committed this morning. And God Satan so wants to remind us that we're sinners. And every time he does, may we run back to this phrase, that you died for my sins. I don't deserve it. But you did it. God, help me to see the grace pouring out from these words. Help me to see the grace pouring out through your Holy Spirit, teaching me, training me, walking with me. And God, may it result in peace. Peace when difficult times comes. Peace when, when I mess up. Help me to understand your grace more and more. And God, if there's someone here today that has not, not opened up their heart to receive this, Lord, I pray that you, would just, that you would just, Lord, that you would break them. Help them to realize that their, their other attempts at trying to appease you are so futile. And that it only comes through recognition that it is your Son who did it, not us. Continue to work in us. Continue to encourage us. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.